I'm McKinney Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing. So get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. Hey, Legacy Leavers, thank you for joining us on the Iwakama Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5% most popular show in the world, where we have conversations with extraordinary women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to own their voice, to create impact, prosperity, and legacy. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony, and since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today we have Lisa Raw. She is a creative director and business manager. She's the owner, president, and CEO of LR Brand and Events, specializing in exclusive event planning, video production, content, and talent management. She's worked with Jeezy, Chris Brown, Young Thug, and so much more. So please welcome to the show, Lisa Raw. Hi. Hey. How are you? I am fantastic. I am grateful. Um, Thank you so much, Lisa, for agreeing to come on and share your story with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be on your show. And I am ready to unwind and be a part of your whole, your whole world right now. (laughs) I am super excited. So interesting enough. I mean, I have been following you on social media for a very long time. I think I first reached out earlier this year due to like, I'll get to it later, but due to a post that you had put up, but um, you're originally from Toronto, correct? Yes. Yes. Toronto. Yes, girl. So I am here in Toronto. <laughs> oh, and, oh, you're um, in Toronto. Are, you, are you from Toronto? You live in Toronto. So born and raised in Scarborough. Um, oh, nice. Yes. <laughs> but I, I presently live in Durham region. So east of the city. Ooh, love it. Love it. Love it. Okay, my Canadian. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to shout out all of our Canadian listeners. I think 50% of our listeners um, this month have been from Canada. So Shout out to all of the local Toronto people. Yes, for sure. My Toronto <laughs> people. Okay, I love it. I love it. I'm hype. I'm hype now. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, okay, before we get to where you are presently and um, understand your journey, as an icebreaker question, I love to ask this question because I feel like it's always connected somehow to who we become or who we end up being and what we end up doing. So, you know, as kids, we have these vivid imaginations of, you know, life before society and our family tells us to be realistic. So I would love to know, like, what did Lisa want to be when she was a little girl? Oh, man, what didn't I want to be? Well, let me say this. I was obsessed with Mariah Carey and Madonna. So in my mind and in my spirit, I was like, I'm they were, I'm going to be an artist when I grow up. 
that's definitely what I thought music. Um, I was always musically inclined, like uh, like my passion was driven to to sound and fashion. Always mm-hmm. obsessive, always obsessed with that. But I also was obsessed with sports, and I loved boxing because my father used to make me play every sport you could imagine because he was he really thought I was going to be his son. <laughs> <laughs> so um he had put me in so many uh I, I did like literally like from baseball boxing kickboxing oh my gosh soccer I did probably the most common sport I did was swimming mm-hmm. um but you know so I had I thought I was gonna do something in music I also wanted to be a boxer and then I also wanted to own a restaurant and do something in radio television literally I could not focus I, I I tell you this much, but that's where my it was in the creative world. Anything mm-hmm. like that, but anything that was competitive, um, I wanted to be a part of. Okay. Yeah, so it's kind kind of hard for me to narrow it into one thing, but I thought it was like okay, I'm gonna be something creative in that in that. Yeah. In that okay. Field. So okay. So tell us tell us your story. Then how did you get to where you are today? Um, walk us through that journey. Um, based off of what well, I started, I started um, writing when I was really young. I'm probably going to say at about eight or nine years old. I had, um, I probably didn't have the most um, normal household upbringing just based off of uh, the two dynamic households, um, based off of my mother and father. They weren't, they weren't married. Um, I think they divorced when I was about one. My father um, is a very strong Muslim man, and my biological mother, um, she's um, Hispanic. However, uh, my father also, you know, he had, he he was more of nation of Islam, and, you know, he, he had been to prison. He just had a different perspective on life when he was, you know, now in society in regards to his family. Um, but I think just dealing with that return to the world you know, from mm-hmm. being in prison and sh- shifting from, you know, San Diego, coming to Canada. Um, he also was also a victim of, you know, drug abuse. Um, mm-hmm. My mother, on the other hand, my biological mother, she, we didn't have a very, we didn't have a healthy relationship. So I was in, I was in foster care group home from, I probably started running away when I was about eight or nine years old, to be honest. Wow. Um, my bo- yeah, my adoptive mother, um, she's from Tobago. And she came into place like from early in my life, but however, like my aunties, they did play roles. Um, it just to raise me to you know to get into, you know, growing up because I think when you're a young child and you're seeking parental love or you know that stability, when you look at other kids who have like a healthy household, or even when you go to school and you see you know your um, your friends or your peers, you know, getting picked up, and you see happy dad, happy mom no matter what, you feel very, um, you know, like it, sad in a sense, like a child doesn't know how to compute that. So I was dealing with a lot of different uh, family troubles and not like anyone I knew was going through. However, um, I think just writing was something that helped me communicate that because I always loved music. Mm-hmm. I was a CD uh, cassette playing junkie, re- like recording radio songs, pop, like 
uh, rewinding it. There was learning lyrics via <laughs> rewind, fast forward. It was, you know, that was the era, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. in the in the 90s. That's how we learned. And you watch your, whether it was your MTV, your BET, your Much Music, um, you know, getting music videos. So I was always interested in sound. So writing was my passion. I probably started taking um, poetry as a way of, I guess like as my sense of therapy. So I probably started getting, I probably really good at it at the age of 13 and so forth. Um, and I created my own character. If that, my own, um, I guess in the sense how artists will have their names or, you know, mm-hmm. their stage name, I created my own. And that was my thing. So during recess, you would see, probably see me rapping or you would see me writing. I was obsessed with writing and even um, drawing sketches because um, I had a vision of myself like maybe one day I'll be famous I'll wear this <laughs> I don't know <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's how I actually started was be a spoken word and um, so when I used to perform and just go to these like uh, open open mic sessions um, you know which is a, a bunch of local just, just everybody that was like local that was in the that was in the artsy underground field from you know rap and the hip-hop sound um they during my poetry they'd be like man you're you're lisa you're you're lisa raw and i was like oh shoot i said that's hard i'm like and so i uh my name originally originated from the people that used to come like in the audience and watch me perform Hmm. and yeah it it was just the stuff that i would that i would say and you know whether it was um you know from pain or whether it was you know anything that to do with like even just empowering your sexuality, being a female, just anything of um, that nature of even like not understanding society and crime and policing things of things that I just questioned from young people would always be like, yo, you're so raw. You're so hardcore with it. So I use that as my name and I started to figure out ways to, I'm like, I grew up in like my, the neighborhood that I was raised in was Fleming park. This is where my father um, lived. And um, so I started just working with like just some of the like, you know, the local, the local men in the area where we did mm-hmm. like stop the violence barbecues. And I was like, you know, what, let me reach out to people that I knew, because at that point I was already um, intertwined with people who were artistic. Mm-hmm. So when we put together like these barbecues or these stage performances, I would organize it. And mind you, it's like, you know, I was young. I might have been like 16, 17, like super young trying to, you know, get into this. Of course, I'm also trying to like perform myself, but I was just working on relationships. So that was my first intro to society, I guess. And sorry, my first intro into um, the industry per se, without really knowing it. Mm-hmm. But that just be a networking from writing. Um, it later transitioned to me. I was like, how do I, if I want to be, you know, around this world. Um, because I used to just listen to radio personalities and like Andy Martinez was huge, you know, New York, you know, you know, New York content was massive. So I was like, okay, um, I'm like, how do I become, or how do I like study that? So I was, I started my own, um, I guess it was like a Sunday night show with a few other folks that I was working like that, just like that were photographers and, you know, DJs and all my friends were in sound. Either they were a DJ, they were producers or they were working on music or they were writers, but it was still on the very creative side. Um, and that helped me. I was like, let me start interviewing people from interviews. And obviously from the writing, I was comfortable with speaking. I wasn't 
um, scared of the microphone. I wasn't scared of audience. I was more aggressive. And that might have been just from the years of my father putting me in sport. I was very competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just loved anything into like a bad aesthetic. So I was like, let's do it. So obviously I wasn't going to be a boxer, but I looked at whatever I was going to be in. And like whether it was track, or I was playing baseball, or I was playing basketball, that was my court being competitive in that nature. Mm-hmm. So um, hosting or doing an interview started as my, was my second entry point. And then I'll say, uh, because of the comfortability that I had in the mic and my friends were DJs, they're like, yo, you need to start doing parties. And I started hosting. I was literally a female MC in the club. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me. Don't ask me. But I was like, my kids could do it. If Lala could do it, I could do it. So I was literally, uh, yeah, the MC at a couple venues. And just, you know, whether it was busting jokes doing some stand up. And they might have been rusty jokes, but hey, listen, I was getting the girls hype and the man them ready to go party. So, <laughs> yeah, that was, that's how it originally started. And then, you know, it transitioned to me trying to just pull off my own um, party. And um, because I always worked, I was, you know, I, if you could only imagine, you know, any kid that probably was in foster care and group home, they know that, you know, you probably, your hustling stage starts from mm-hmm. early because you're not relying on a parent or you don't have that household. It's like you against the world. So I was like the ultimate hustler. Like you, you, like if it was even me stealing stuff at the candy store or blah, blah, or whatever the case <laughs> was, but these are things I didn't like high school. I'm selling gum. I'm selling this. I'm like, it did like anything that you could imagine. I got jobs at Sky Dome. At the end of the shift, they would throw out, um, it's not that they were garbage, but in a sense, they were like, okay, well, customers didn't buy it for the day. Cotton candy. I would take these bags that they were going to throw out. I would go on Young Street and literally sell them. Like, wow. I was the ultimate hustler. <laughs> so I was like, anything that you could do to, like, make money and generate funds, I was doing that for, you know, for my bigger, for the bigger cause. And this is all something, you know, like, you know, it sounds crazy when I, you know, reflect, but... um I'm happy that I always had that ambition because I never wanted to settle. Just like mm-hmm. I was never too proud or never too, you know, just the, the hustle of just trying, trying to be great or mm-hmm. get to the next situation was always what I wanted and felt like I needed. So I think um, once I started doing parties and I just, I was just, like I said, it was like social. I started working, I worked so many jobs. I was able to learn uh, owners of venues when I was working downtown Toronto, if I was like in the back, um, you know, like being a cleaner, being a, like a, a line chef or being a hostess at a restaurant, it didn't matter. I was just learning the people that ran the operations. So mm-hmm. when I wanted to throw a party, um, they had known me just because like, I was always working. You know, it's like I didn't have um, the family dynamic that like most people had. I didn't have the opportunity to even dive deep into passion or study um, like how my other peers are doing or my other family members. Like I had to really like hustle because it was like me against the world. It's do or die. Mm-hmm. So um, I spent a lot of time just working, 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 no getting to know people and um, owners just, you know, they just, I guess they, they gravitated to this young girl who was overly working. And so when I wanted to throw my first party, the venue, I think, if I can remember, 
It might have been, I don't know if it was DNA or La Rouge. I cannot remember at the top of my head, but this is many, <laughs> many years ago in Toronto, like early 2000. Okay. <laughs> and I think he, um, the owner of the venue might have rented itself to me for, I don't even think I gave him a thousand dollars. He was like, you could have it. Throw your party. Cause I was so used to throwing like, uh, barbecues or like, you know, these, uh, mm-hmm. like I said, stuff and stuff and flemo, uh, just random events. But this one particular, he was like, no, nah, I'll let you do, like, you got it. It was, like, my birthday party. And that was literally my first time. And it was just that feeling of, all right, making money at the door, putting together the DJ, um, mm-hmm. you know, inviting the women and the guys that I knew. And, you know, it was mad hood, but it was mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was lit too, and it was definitely from there. It w- I just started. I, I started. I took that ex- that moment, and it was like my rush. It was my high because you know it was one thing when you're you know like I said I was like you know I was always, I was scrambling. I was like hustling in these streets trying to make make ends meet, trying to get myself better. Um, and just based off of my situation, you know, my father, like I said, he was you know, unfortunately, you know, at that point in life, you know, really addicted to drugs. I'm like, mm-hmm. I wanted to take care of him. So at that point, I was just like, whatever I need to do to make funds. It it was my whole, like my, that was my only focal point. Like that was my end, end goal. Mm-hmm. So the party was something that gave me a rush that I actually enjoyed that I didn't feel was me scrambling in these streets or trying to make things work. It was, this was me like putting something together and using my, just my talent. And mm-hmm. just like, you know, like my word of mouth, my hustle of, all right, come, come through, but I need you to pay. Woo, woo, woo. Mm-hmm. This is going to go towards that. And um, that's how it really, really started to be honest, but poetry and writing uh, like as crazy as that sounds, that was what got me to that point. Wow. So like, well, like you said in the beginning, you, you sound like, you know, you were able to tap into all of your, I'm going to say your creativity to basically survive. So when you, what, what made you decide to move to Miami? Well, I think after a while of years of throwing events and I, you know, I had a phenomenal team working with in Toronto, um, and I think I've learned from other people's mistakes and they were older people, of course, but I was able to learn the, like the logistics and the operations, um, what makes a party, um, the, the layout of table, the things that, that were different, getting to know people's personalities and egos, the artists, the manager, the talent, um, the entourage. I think at the, I, I reached a point in my, in my career in Toronto that I was at the ceiling. It was a great mm-hmm. feeling, um, but I felt I reached my ceiling. And I mm-hmm. think I was, I've, I've always been a visionary from a child because I couldn't focus on one particular thing. I had so many um, aspirations that I always wanted to blend them all in. Even if I was going to do a party, okay, but I still want to look the flyers at my own party. I also, also mm-hmm. want to give people the experience of, okay, I love food. So what if I were to do, you know, some hors d'oeuvres or find a fire chef or something that I was always thinking outside the box or let me start some, you know, interview segment where I could still branch off my company and get the talent to know us. And we're not just a party, we're a brand. So my brain was always thinking at a faster rate than someone else may have been. Mm -hmm. And I felt like just where I was at in Toronto, I reached my ceiling. And then also in the world of, you know, entertainment industry, sometimes you're going to meet people that have the 
mind frame, well, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're accustomed to running a business a certain type of way. But where I was like, okay, it may not be broken, but that doesn't mean it can't be better. Right. And so my ambition was more to get more. I wanted more. And I just felt that if I'm great in my city, and mind you, nothing was holding me back. It's not like I was married. I didn't have children. Um, I had bought a, you know, I had bought my own property at the age of 24. Like that, my goal was to buy my own property at the age of 25. I bought that at 24. I purchased my mm-hmm. car. I did things that many of my peers didn't achieve, but right. I was so focused on hustling. Like, like I said, I was like, just by any means necessary, I'm going to make this money count. Um, that I was like, okay, it's not like I have the fondest relationship with, you know, I love my, my adopted mother, God bless her soul. She had passed in November, but you know, with her encouragement and love that she had poured into me, she was like, go for it. And, you know, and like, like I said, you know, it's cool. Like at that point, I mended relationship with my biological mother, but it wasn't enough for me to stay. My father had passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just looked at my, my closest friends, which I, they're still my friends to this day. And, but they were, neither one of them were in my field. Mm-hmm. They weren't in the, you know, they were more institutionalized. They went to school. They worked nine to fives or whatever, the case, and which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But mm-hmm. I was the oddball in the bunch because I didn't have that foundation growing up. Nothing in my life was stable. So I didn't have the stability of just focusing on one thing. I had to make several things work to survive. So my mentality when I became an adult was I need more and I need different. So I was like, if I could be great in my city and this is cool now, right? I was able to, you know, beat these statistics, these odds of not being a victim of my environment, not being a victim of my biological parents' trauma and so forth. And even though I was dealing with trauma, I wasn't handicapped by it. I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to leave. You know, of course, I've gotten troubled by the police and I had things that happened, you know, and I'm sure like anyone, you know, like I I think when you go back into that era of Regent Park and Flummo, you you could only imagine (laughs) like what that era was like, right? (laughs) Yes. But, um... I think at that point, I just had a moment, it was, a, it was epiphany. I was like, all right, I'm making all this money. And I finally did this, but it, I didn't feel fulfilled spiritually. Mm-hmm. I felt like it wasn't my alchemy to just stay there. So I'm like, let me go searching. So I, I made a big shift in the beginning of 2020, uh, 2015. And I literally traveled for three months to decide where do I want to move to and where do I want to go? And it was also to clear my mind from working, but just enjoyed life. God, nature, and just have the moment with myself and prayer. Mm-hmm. And my heart said, like, okay, let's go to the States and let me explore it. And when I did get to the States, I'm going to say it was probably about March of 2015. That's when I was like, let me see what city makes sense. And eventually I, you know, I focused on Miami because I decided it was the easiest, you know, three hours from Toronto. It's also like the Vegas of the South. And I felt like, what I was going to bring and what I could do implement would make perfect sense. Like I felt mm-hmm. like it didn't matter. Like whomever my competition was female wise, like I'm like, okay, I'm going to go for the jugular. And if it was any male that was in this field, I felt like they would have been impressed because I had already did. My resume was already lavish at that point, mm-hmm. you know, um, based off of like the people that I had worked with, I built so much relationship that I felt like I was already at value and resourceful by the time I made it to uh, Miami. Mm. So first, my condolences of, about the, the loss of your your father and your adopted mom. Um, you shared so many things in here. And, and 
some things I want to unpack, but I'm just like, only our Canadian audience may understand that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, okay, where, where do I start? So one, you said, you know, you were promoting in Toronto in the the early 2000s. Yes. Um, You may know my older brother, actually, he was promoting in Toronto around the same time. Yeah, we'll we'll discuss that later offline. But I feel like there's there's like some connection there. You probably know who, who he is. But I, I love how you, your drive, um, your drive to, not, like, it, it sounded as though, yes, you were grateful for where you were, but you knew there was more um, to life. And you weren't afraid and you didn't shy away from exploring and putting in the work and taking the risk to do more, to build more. And I, I love hearing that in women because I feel like we're conditioned to hear about men going after their dreams and their desires and, you know, women being complacent and and settling. So I love hearing stories of women who are like, yeah, no, like (laughs) I wanted more. I'm thinking outside of the box. Um, And I love that the way that you, when, even when you made the decision to move to the States and you said you, you know, took the three months to explore and to pray and to, you know, find peace. Like as much as I admire the hustle, I admire women who are grounded. And I, I think I, there was a an interview that I had listened to you do. And, you know, even just how you spoke about even how you presently view yourself and, you know, how if we're supposed to be a reflection of God, children of God, like our, our bodies are a temple of God. And I, I just love your perspective. Mm, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it was like, that's not something that, you know, like happened overnight. I just think, um, I think anyone that, you know, that kind of grew up in any type of hood or borough and, you know, they were, um, you know, part of generational trauma and they may have not known it, but I think you have to, these children that experience a different life compared to someone they go to school with also have a different, it's like a different chromosome or a different DNA than the the rest of the people mm-hmm. because they have to turn on and turn off sometimes even emotion and you know like just for survival in a sense mm-hmm. like I couldn't go to school and you know discuss my father's drug issues right I couldn't go to school and discuss my mother's abuse issues like I, there's certain things I just couldn't because mm-hmm. it was it was taboo and then you also think like dang like I'm not trying to talk to these people to the police or you know um anybody in the system because mm-hmm. you see what it what it has done to your people in your yeah. neighborhood and so I think there's a way of like you have to trick yourself as a kid um and I think like you know it's like unimportant like it was unfortunate I know growing up for myself particularly I was like I can't wait till I'm older like the age of 16 was like my get out of free jail car. Like that was like, I cannot wait. I remember being like eight or nine, just be like praying to be 16 years old, to be out of the system. Cause that's the only time I could emancipate myself from mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. environment. But at the same regards, it's like, it's either you make it or break it. And I just, you know, I, I didn't think I was going, like, I don't think I even thought that far ahead. But like I said, I think a lot of when I, you know, when I work with children and when I go to like, you know, like even in different organizations or I go to boys and girls club and I check up on like, you know, some little kids, like I just check up on them to see how they're doing. It's, you could see that they either have it or they don't have it. It's like right. it's something that's innate in you where you're either born with or you just, I don't know. But mm-hmm. I think just that was something that was my lifeline without yeah. me even knowing it. 
I can completely relate because so for our, I'm going to say for our Toronto listeners, you know, I grew up in Cataraqui and Melbourne. So, mm-hmm. you know, so for our international listeners who are listening, like when you talk about growing up in um, Fleming and Park and stuff, like whatever area you live in, think about growing up in, you know, the hood or, uh, you know, what people call like government housing or any of those areas. And like you said, you know, you go to school with people who live in the suburbs and they live in a big fancy house and, you know, there's there's certain issues that they can't relate to, but it also shapes you uh, differently. And I think maybe that's why I admire your hustle. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, like it's like the best way for me to describe, for, I, I guess, for any Miami listeners would be the comparison of Overtown versus Liberty City, mm-hmm. and that's probably you know Overtown is own. Well, you know, I don't, I won't consider it anymore. But um, you know, it's like marketed to be like the first forty eight. And that's like what the stigma Regent Park and Fleming mm-hmm. Park was at that time because there were two hoods at war. And it was like, oh, are you from Regent? Are you from Flemmo? It, it's the same thing from, you know, so mm-hmm. you, you can, like, it's the same thing, Malvern versus Galloway. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Right. But I, I mean, like, those are things that you just, you kind of deal with and you live with, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, the blessings of Toronto, we such we had such a multicultural uh, city and yes. even in you know school we've we engage with so many different so many different races and mm-hmm. so many different people's cultural backgrounds we were probably the first generation born into Canada mm-hmm. um, and or we had peers that just came from another island or came from another country but you know we were very diverse um, yeah. but the only thing that separated us I wouldn't necessarily say even the cultural thing because I think we were so accepting of other people's culture it was more or less when you got to your neighborhood and that's where your division really began yeah yes you know i i also wanted like that's a, a great point that you made like i i've been doing a lot of i'm gonna say i don't like to call it like the whole diversity and equity inclusion work but like you know speaking on panels about topics like this and it's like proximity breeds comfort so you know when you grow up in the areas that we grew up in that are so multicultural were more accepting of different cultures. But then when you have people who grew up, you know, far off out into the suburbs and they only have, you know, their culture and then they come around other cultures and they're, it's almost like because they didn't grow up with that familiarity or that comfort of the different cultures it's almost like well if you're different you know they they separate you or any of those things like you know I wanted to also give a a shout out because you mentioned that your adopted mom was from Tobago and we have a huge amount of listeners in Trinidad and Tobago and um, last (laughs) week well actually the last two weeks the last two episodes that have aired have hit top charts in Trinidad and Tobago I think last week's episode hit in the top three so shout out to our listeners out there. Oh, for the Trinis, <laughs> boy. <laughs> my my daughters are half Trini as well. So oh, love it, love it, love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. love it, love it. Um, okay, so I wanted to quickly touch on um and I, I believe it may have been, I don't know how long ago, but I, I feel like it was somewhere around the beginning of the pandemic. Um, you had made a post on Instagram and at the time you know, I was paying attention, but I said to myself, once I feel that you've started your healing from that, then I would love to have you on here to share your story. 
So you had had posted a while back about an experience that you had where you were sexually assaulted at an event. Yes. And I wanted to touch on that a little bit, not only, um, you know, not to focus on the sexual assault, but what you've learned from the experience, how you have changed from that and just any lessons that women who are listening may be able to gain from that and to also bring awareness to certain things, especially about your particular incident. Right. Okay. Um, well, yeah, no problem. Um, it was July. Um, and I'll try to give you a long story short on it, but I was working a production. And at that time during, you know, the prime time of COVID, um, anyone that was working in the entertainment industry, especially in events, our whole livelihood was shut down. Um, by all mm-hmm. means, you know, I'm, I'm, the whole world has shut down, but the hospitality industry took a major hit because we don't have an office. We can't work from home. We were, our, our business is the people. Mm-hmm. I've always been the people. So it's like working with the people engaging with the people, throwing that, that real-time interaction was something that once you take that away, it's like, oh, what do I do? Because this is all I know, you know? Um, so, you know, uh, of course, you know, think, trying to think outside the box, like how do I do something and uh, still trying to make money? And, um, you know, living in Miami, it's forever summertime here. You know, and people that work in the industry were like, well, we got to we gotta think things through, think outside the box. So at that time, a lot of a lot of folks were renting houses via Airbnb or doing whatever it was or, you know, getting private, secret, private uh, locations to throw events, um, whether it was studios, whatever the case was, just to get people outside because people were losing their mind. If you could mm-hmm. only imagine, uh, well, I could like, of course, the world knows how like traumatic that shutdown was. Mm-hmm. Um, but Miami, where we're not dealing with winter at any point, this is a city that everybody is outside mm-hmm. 24-7. Like, our venues don't close till 6 in the morning. Some are 24 wow. hours. It's um, There's no time cap on when to sell alcohol. This is literally, um, there's a party on the water, whether you're on a jet ski or you're on a boat. There's, you know, uh, groups of people that are your bike riders uh, from motorcycles or literally, like, bicycle um a group of people that are joggers a group of people that are you know roller skaters like it this is a a city that engages with from fitness but outside living and being with the people Mm -hmm. um and the hospitality industry was is massive and you take that away from literally 60 60 well that's 60 percent of society's employment So if you could just imagine how many restaurants, how many venues that turn into after parties or uh, clubs that were shut down, like that's literally about 50 to 70 percent of people's daily income. Mm -hmm. And that was stripped away. So I was like, all right, well, let me reach out to contacts that wanted to do events. And of course, people reached out to me, too. um, But, you know, I have to not try to um, some other plans are like absolutely not because, you know, they're, you know, of course, scared of the health situation, of course. And by all means, they have their choice. And also mm-hmm. the other hand was it people are scared of getting in trouble by the police. Yeah. I had neither one of those fears. I was like, oh, I don't care. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, I'm gonna get this money. <laughs> so it was working for me for a while. However, it was one uh one particular production that I did. Um and like I said, I won't get to specific detail, but um I will say that, you know, I was drugged 
and assaulted on a production that I worked, which was, if you could think about this, like I'm now 35 years old and I'm only going to say this one time because everyone thinks I'm in my 20s. (laughs) But I've been... I've been very blessed and highly favored to be in this industry for about 15 years. Just, you know, and I'm not going to say it in the large entertainment, you know, U.S. perspective, but things that I've done to engage with people since I was like, you know, literally since I was 20, so I started working parties. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I've loved so much turned out to be the one thing that I would hate because I'm like, how could something that I love so much hurt me? Mm-hmm. And I've never experienced that. But when I reflect on it, I think I don't regret it. And I I know that sounds probably very strange to say and to like vocalize, but I really, really believe that it made me a better person from having that experience and that, that trauma in my life, because I would have never opened my eyes to the healing that I actually required Mm. and needed. Yeah. And you know, I like when I was um, when I was nine years old, I was being molested by my uncle on my mother's side. And which is why I don't have any correlation really to any like on the Hispanic side of my family. Right. Mm-hmm. I just don't I don't gravitate to them. I don't bond with them. And then mind you, my enemy is still the Latin people right, left and center. But I've never had that. My my contact has always been with like my father, like, my father himself or, you know, all West Indian people, because that's the culture I grew up under. And I felt like that was the those were the ones that loved and protected me Mm -hmm. but just based off of that experience as a grown woman and then you know having to you know you when you go through a when you experience rape at an older age and I don't think you know even even of course rape at any age is disgusting it's terrible it's the most uh, egregious thing that you could ever feel but Sometimes when you're a child, and I think when a lot of people do this, it's like you have trauma that happens to you when you're a child. And but because you're so focused on surviving, mm-hmm. you just bury it. You never, you never deal with it. You never heal from it. You just bury it. And you keep going. You keep going. You see friends that get killed when we're young. You mm-hmm. bury it. Um, mm-hmm. You see people that you love get arrested, go to jail. You you bury it. And um, all these things in life you end up bearing as a child or as an adolescent just because you have to survive. This was the first time I had a reality check where I had to check myself. It's not because what this person did to me was disgusting. What they did to me was disgusting, of course, but this is my first time as a grown woman where I was like, I, I have to fix this. I need to heal myself. And that took a deep dive into everything that I that I've ever felt so things that I've mm-hmm. you know that I felt from a child um and that also you know transcended into relationships with you know men in my life um people that I had did business everything it it, it made me do a, a complete 180 and as I said like I don't regret it because I truly believe that experience made me into a better person but I also was able to open my eyes into um how much how much healing the world really needs and how many women mm-hmm. uh, children mm-hmm. are victims to assault and there's such a lack of support towards yep. it um and it's and it's so fucking sad i'm sorry i don't know if i'm allowed to swear on your mm-hmm. podcast but you know speak your mind girl speak so your mind <laughs> it, it's so fucking sad and it's just even the trauma of like when um 
even the part of, you know, I think from young, we get promoted to market, even like, oh, have an abortion, do these things. And we're, we're not even understanding as a child that we're raping our rooms with metal objects mm-hmm. because we're told this is a good thing to do or you can't have a career if you get pregnant and, you, you know, you got to just do this or we're, we're meant to be a sex icon or look a certain type of way. There's so many things that I had to unpack. Mm-hmm. Um, from decisions that I made privately and just things that I've experienced in life. But I really believe that moment and, you know, obviously seeking therapy and I will always encourage anyone to go to therapy. I think it's the greatest thing you could have done. I did therapy once a week for a full year, for almost a full year because of that. Mm-hmm. And it was the hardest thing I ever did, but the most grateful thing I've ever experienced because I feel that has helped me look at at any situation where I have now too much stability and I'm balanced in the sense when things come to me now that are supposed to break me, you're not going, I will refuse to let you get to my, um, to get to my spirit. But, but Mm -hmm. I know what it does to med, what it could physically do to you, scientifically do to your brain and your whole DNA when you're under trauma. Yeah. So that was, that was my experience in 2020. Um, it took me a while to, you know, obviously get back to society, which was not until close to the following year in 2021. And, you know, it's obviously it's growing pains and you have to get used to working with people again. I know I had to, but again, I'm grateful for that just alone for the healing and the maturity that I got posted. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. So I'm sorry you even had to experience that. Um, but I, I love your perspective now that you've come to the other side of it. You know, I've been, it's interesting the way that you even said that, like going through that traumatic experience revealed healing that you didn't even know you needed to do. Um, I can completely relate to that because I had a very traumatic experience um, just about three years ago and Mm -hmm. didn't realize until I was forced to do the healing. So it opened up doors uh, and wounds I didn't know existed. And in the healing is where I realized as much as I hurt going through that trauma, the experience of it taught me so much and has made me a better person for it. So I can completely relate to your perspective on that. You know, when you were talking about, especially when you grow up with, you know, generational trauma or you grow up, you know, dealing with, you know, families with addiction or any form of instability or things like that. Like there's so much trauma that a lot of people grow up with and don't realize that they've suppressed and the body keeps the score. So all of that emotion that you're suppressing, it doesn't just go away. You know, your body feels that it, it, it affects your DNA. It affects, you know, your brain. It affects how you function. It affects even the illnesses that you get when you get older. So you being able to go through therapy, and I agree with you. I believe everyone should be in therapy. Um, I had a a, a guest on uh, about a year ago, and she was talking about, she's in the medical field, but she was like, therapy is like taking your car for an oil change. Like, it's a tune-up. We should all, you know, we shouldn't wait till right. there's an issue, right? We should all be um, learning coping mechanisms and healing mechanisms so that we can thrive and move forward. But I, I love how you, I guess, transmuted your pain into purpose. Yes, it was necessary. Um, I think it was 
Thank you, and I appreciate that. But I think it's, it was vital for for the little girl in me. Mm. Like, on, honestly speaking, I think I owed a lot to myself. Things that my family, like biological family, couldn't give couldn't give me, or things I would see, like even as a child, like kind of jealous that other people had. But I owed it to myself to heal. Mm-hmm. Like I really, really owed it to myself. And even though it was given to me in such a traumatic way, there was my silver lining that I'm grateful that I was able to discover. And I was able to meet so many other brilliant and amazing souls along that process, some men and women that experienced it. You know, so many people touched my heart by their journey, by their by their stories. And just, just you know, uh, just people in general. That it was like a community, a tribe of people that were just like, you're not alone. Yes. And it's and it's sad to know that there's this much trauma out there, this much pain, there's so much sexual abuse. But like I said, I, I discovered my silver lining from it, but I really owed it to myself, but especially the little girl in me that I just couldn't, that, that wasn't able to enjoy life as the other ones, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it was necessary. And like I said, like um, despite it all, I feel like a a complete better person. I know I'm a better woman because of it. I love that. I love that. Speaking of better woman, you announced recently on your Instagram and your caption was, I quote, Rihanna crawled so I could walk. (laughs) Miss Ra (laughs) is officially Mama Ra. So congratulations. Thank you. Yes, I'm officially, officially a mommy to be. <laughs> Congrats. Thank you. It has been a, a journey to get here, shall I say, which uh, I'll actually share with you because one, I wasn't anticipating. Well, let me say this. I've always wanted to be a mother and have my own family just because of how messy my own was. That I, I anticipated just like I couldn't wait to look forward to be a mother, have my own family one day from a child. It sounds crazy for me to even vocalize that. Mm-hmm. Um, or just the thought of like sharing love with my own child that my my real mom couldn't give me mm-hmm. at that time in life, you know. But I was so blessed to have other mother figures pour love into me. So the thought of like, okay, having a child, having a child or, you know, having a family of my own was like, the idea was great, but ironically, in the summer of when I, you know, obviously 2021, which was like, you know, not too long ago, I started to get a lot of pain in my womb, and I, I never really understood. I'm like, why am I having this pain? I'm like, what's going on? Fast forward, um, I went to my OBGYN, and um, they discovered I had fibroids. Mm-hmm. And a lot of women experience fibroids, a lot of melanated women, you know, black, brown women, we have fibroids. It's it's something that we get, we're more prone to. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is happened from society putting, uh, saying we have to be on birth control, these IODs, these medications, uh, you know, fibroids and PCOS. It's a very common thing. And even discussing your mental, like your menstrual pain of, am I like, y- you just expect it to be hurt, to be painful. You don't expect yeah. it to, but you don't know what's like how to gauge that. So uh, when I found out I had fibroids, you know, they told me I had five and, um, the OBGYN at the time that I had was, well, you need to do the surgery. You need to remove this. You might have to get a hysterectomy, uh, which is for some women who may not know what that is or people. Um, it's basically removing everything below. So I won't, <laughs> yeah, your whole uterus, this mm-hmm. is getting rid of it. And I was just like, how, like, how could the, like, I, I'm not even a mom yet. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm not no so I I did um a lot of digging into holistic healing at that time and um and which is which is why I'm trying to say the silver lining to this is um you know we as people do healing and just you know like you said the tune up like it's like a, you know it's a tune up for your mind when you do or your spirit when you do therapy but um, you know, healthy people like to do like, you know, you're like, let's do a colon cleanse or let's juice or let's be vegan. Um, we negate, women tend to negate from the fact that we have a whole world inside of us. We bring mm-hmm. life inside of us mm-hmm. and our womb needs healing as well. So if you've been sexually abused, you've had abortions, you've had miscarriages, you've been, um, you know, just like, insignificant lovers whatever the case is your body is holding this that energy the same way your heart can hold it your chest can hold it your mind can hold it and you know like the 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 human mind is a beautiful thing but it also it still it just hides it's like a computer it puts it in a dark hidden file yep it stores it it's still there so your your womb for a lot of women have trauma Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to do some healing. So which I led into just going, I was like, I'm not doing the surgery. And I'm like, you know, if anyone knows the uh, American health system, it's like an arm and a leg for everything. I was like, let me just switch up my whole diet, my whole livelihood. I started, uh, I reached out to this one. He's actually this Trinidadian man, Dr. Ware. He's here in Miami. I love him. Little dread man. Help me out. He had sickle cell and he was able to combat his sickle cell. Is that Dr. Sabi or no? Pardon me? No, his name is Dr. Ware. But obviously, I'm very familiar with Dr. Sebi, you know, um, of course, you know. Yeah. Uh, but Dr. Ware is actually here in Miami. And he focuses on Chinese medicine and acupuncture. So okay. when I went to go see him, he, you know, he looked at my eyes, he looked at my hands, he looked at my tongue, he looked at my skin. And he was able to determine. I told him, you know, what brought me here was because of the fibroids. But there was a lot of things he brought to my attention that I didn't know I was dealing with. So I went through a whole holistic journey of, you know, doing colonics, literally changing my diet to 80% fruit. I had 20% veggies, uh, getting all my water, literally all Mm -hmm. my water from fruit. Mm -hmm. I was from whether it was celery, cucumber, watermelon, pineapple, if you can imagine, literally, I was getting coke, fresh coconut. And that's a great, like I said, being in Miami is a great thing because, you know, we have coconut trees <laughs> here everywhere. Yes. <laughs> but every, but I was able to get all my hydration straight from fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, with the acupuncture I was doing, I was doing certain more therapy for my womb and just healing and manifesting that, um, you know, I, I was slowly removing and clearing out these fibroids and killing them. Now, mind you, as a woman, I can comfortably speak on this. Um, you know, I've had abortions in the past. And I made it, you know, when I was one time when I was very young, when I was in my 20s, early 20s. Mm-hmm. And I remember how traumatic that experience was for me. Yet, but I wasn't mature enough for my emotions or my spirit or my knowledge and conscience to even understand it. Mm-hmm. I just did it. And, you know, it was just a partner that I was with at the time. I was like, okay, well, I have to do this. I'm, this is not, you know, I just thought I mm-hmm. had to. And I did it again when I was in 2016, you know, recently, like when I was here in Miami. And I remember this was before my 30th birthday. And I remember that feeling of feeling, this is the worst decision I'm ever 
ever making. And I remember that, like crying and praying, like three times I came into the room and I wasn't ready to do it because mm-hmm. my body or was like my inner God was telling me, this is like, you're killing life. Mm-hmm. You're doing something to your body that you didn't even know. And at that time, I'm thinking this is what you're supposed to do if, you know, um, if you want to be successful, if you want to have a business, if you, if you have a relationship that's, you know, on the lows and nobody knows because you can't put stigma on your career or, you know, people are going to have, they're going to be too much into your private world. You know what I mean? Your privacy. Mm -hmm. But I didn't understand that I'm actually medically raping myself Mm. at that time. And I know a lot of women, you know, of course, I mean, you know, people have different perspective on it. I'm still pro-life, but I made a horrible decision in the past me by negating from that. Mm-hmm. And I think that trauma stayed with my womb because fibroids isn't something that just happens overnight. This is something that builds over time. Right. Or, you know, they're benign tumors that grow, but also energy wise, it's like, it's like having a, a broken heart. If you never heal your broken heart, it's just going to, you're just going to harden. Everything yeah. about you is going to harden. It's yeah. like having a bad kidney or having a bad liver. If you don't take care of it, it's just going to keep getting worse. And I was carrying five, five boys, and that's a small amount compared to some women that have carried maybe 10 or 15, 20, but it's the sizing of it. And that was about to take away my ability to bring life into this world. And as a woman, mm-hmm. you know, and I say this, like as a born woman, <laughs> mm-hmm. to bring life into this world, it's like, if we can't do that. It, in essence, you feel like that's t- like you, you, what your purpose is in this world. It's like, what is it for? Yeah, you know, and of course, there are some women that are unable to give life and but they are an amazing mother figure. They're amazing leaders. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm so grateful for my adopted mother. She raised me exactly like her daughter to be. You know what I mean? But I felt like I was I made decisions now the younger me, the uninformed me of like, okay, I, I had abortion, not understanding like and now when I had a deja vu moment, like, oh, my God. What do you mean I could never have give birth again? Or what this is going to be taken away from me? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I played with life. I got rid of it just at the expense of just cause. So at that moment, my whole premise was like, I got to heal myself. Like I might've healed my mind. I might've healed my heart, but I didn't heal my womb. Mm-hmm. I didn't focus on that healing. So that was when I started like in the month of like August, September, October, I was deep diving into healing my body as much as possible. You know, I got back into work, but at that time that took premise over everything. And um, God so had it that he got me pregnant. <laughs> that I got pregnant not too, not too long after that. <laughs> and, uh, and now we're here, baby. <laughs> that is a beautiful blessing. And I, I love how, you know, you spoke to holistic healing. Um, I think too often we focus on one type of thing, you know, whether someone believes wholeheartedly in the medical system, which has failed me and my family over and over again, um, or they wholeheartedly believe in, in one thing, but the holistic healing, I think that is um, the key to, you know, our true, true healing. And mm-hmm. Your story is a testament to that. My story is a testament to that. Um, so many other women that have come on the show can can testify to the the same thing. It's like when you look at all aspects of your life, just not one, you know, you may be able to heal a fraction of something just by focusing on the one part. 
Um, but you recognizing in combination with the therapy and healing your mind and getting more in tune with your spirit and healing your womb and all these things were, were integral to not only become the best possible version of Lisa Ra, but now to be, you know, the best mom to be, um, right. just even your, your perspective of, of life. So thank you for not only being so transparent and, um, you know, authentic in how you share your story, but just for your own resilience. Like, I feel like oftentimes I'll, I'll hear women say things like, well, I'm not as resilient as you, or I'm not as resilient as her. Or they hear your story and be like, wow, like, you know, Lisa's so strong, but it's like, it's almost like you've been groomed that way. We don't realize resilience is, it's like a muscle that's strengthened. It's like going to the gym. You know, you, you've had this um, not so easy upbringing, but you chose to get back up. You chose to look forward. You chose to move forward. And in doing so as a woman now at the age of 35, like you have, so much resilience and you've built such strength. It's very admirable. So just thank you for being who you are. Thank you. Thank you. And I just hope, you know, there's other women out there or other people. It's, you know, like you said, it's, it wasn't an easy journey, but it was something that didn't look like a muscle that had to be groomed. It had to be trained, it, you know, and my training, unfortunately, is like a double-ended sword. It came from trauma. Um, mm-hmm. But I really am... I, I'm a high believer in, you know, in in faith. I'm in a high believer in silver linings. And I feel that, of course, there are moments when I'm like, this is the end for me. Like, I, like I, I don't see the bigger picture. I don't see the next day. But I think if you just try to take day by day and whatever that process is for you, let it be that. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm grateful for the life I've lived thus far and experienced because I think just I'm very grounded and I am on my being and I've been blessed to be around so many people and that I just really just look forward that I could probably help somebody else in my story or even let alone to my own child when, you know, mm-hmm. when my little one is born, I could just at least let them know about life because I think society itself gives us everything that's so microwavable and we think it's supposed to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it's really not. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's life is hard. It is motherfucking hard. Mm-hmm preach <laughs> girl <laughs> <laughs> okay what's what is one thing that you wish women would do more of love themselves mm-hmm. love yourself just love yourself ladies love yourself love yourself all the way i think um we put too much of ourselves to the side when it comes to relationships uh we put too much of ourselves to the side when it comes to business mm-hmm. love yourself i think being a woman is the most greatest thing on earth and here's the thing i think society has made us believe that like we're supposed to be masculine beings or we're supposed to be dominant in this and you know like of course you could be dominant in certain aspects but being a woman is such a beautiful thing mm-hmm. love yourself yeah be gracious be soft and if you need a fight of course fight fight but fight for protection fight for the better cause not just fight just because you know you're trying to uh, prove a point or an you know like your ego or you know mm-hmm. a trend mm-hmm. um but definitely loving yourself like i'm i'm loving myself more and more and more every day even how my body is changing um 
the bonding that I'm having with my, with my womb, seeing my belly grow, you know, um, I think support is so necessary and support for some people may look different. You know, I think mm-hmm. some people have a, a wonderful partner and they're blessed to have that. And some people support is the best friend mm-hmm. or some people, you know, some people support is, you know, like maybe it's a, a village of people, you know, a group chat or I don't know, whatever it is, but I think that support system, lean on that for counsel or lean on that for, for your love. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I am, and it sounds crazy for me to say this because, <laughs> um, you know, for myself right now, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a single mother at this point. I'm pregnant in a mm-hmm. situation where I'm not, I don't have the dynamic of the happy household, but I love myself too much. And I love mm-hmm. my, the ability that what I'm going to bring into this world, even way more than that. That's so like, mm-hmm. it's like, I can't even express that feeling that is not defined off of a man or the perspective. It's defined off of like what I'm going to create. And I think if you just learn to love yourself mm-hmm. enough, you'll understand that nobody could really hurt you or detour you from your greater, your greater cause. I love it. Love it. Wow. Lisa, can you tell the people where they can stay connected with you online to learn more from you and about you? Yes. Um, well, you can follow me via Instagram. Um, I have two Instagram handles. One that's for my business, LR Brand Events. That's where I usually put, you know, work-related stuff. Uh, personal, MS, Lisa Raw, Miss Lisa Raw. Um, I also have Twitter. I don't really, you know, I sometimes dabble in the Twitter. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, probably Instagram. I mean, or you can just email me, info at lisaraw.com. I know right now I'm not as social or not as working as I used to be. Um, you know, I'm kind of enjoying being this Mama Raw vibe right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to prep for Baby Raw, so that's where my brain is right now. But I mean, I'm just a, a text, a email, or a DM away if, if you needed to to reach out. I love it. Thank you so much, Lisa. I will definitely have all of your details in the details section so they can just click and connect with you directly. They don't have to search too far. I truly appreciate you sharing your journey with us, sharing your gems and your wisdom. And I am positive that the women listening will gain something from hearing your story because I know I definitely have today. So thank you, Lisa. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thank you for reaching out. Thank you for not giving up for all these months <laughs> to get me on the show. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've been gated for a while, but I, girl, I was going through a lot. <laughs> I totally understand and I respect it. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so this conversation was amazing and I love it. I, I can't wait to share the podcast as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, so much, Lisa. Honestly, if there's anything that um, you were doing that I could be of value to and assist, I'd be more than happy to do so. And, you know, to, to all of you legacy leavers out there, until next time, make sure that you subscribe on all platforms. Don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. We would love to hear what part of Lisa's story resonated with you. Like, what was your takeaway? What was your aha moment? Um, You know, I just want to thank each and every one of you that continues to listen each week to help the show globally rank in the top 1.5% of most popular shows. And that's out of over 2.8 million podcasts. Like, thank you. (laughs) So if you want to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag Lisa at 
M-S-L-I-S-A-R-A-W. That's her personal page or her business page is at LR Brand Events. And you can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith. Continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling.